Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hi everyone, I'm Deb. And I'm Beth. And welcome back to Dying to be Found. It's just another fun-filled day in our makeshift studios. How are you, Beth? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm really good. I'm relaxed. I was sunbathing today. It's been a nice, relaxing day. I went for a walk. The dogs appreciated that. It was just a really good start to the day. Great. I have a question to ask you. Yeah. Do you consider yourself somebody who's early or somebody that is right on time? I am right on time. When I say right on time, I mean I am sliding in on two wheels around the corner right on time. No, I'm just, I mean, I plan to get there maybe one or two, five minutes early, unless I actually really have to be somewhere and and I could do the 10 minutes if I have to, but nope, it's right on time. Why? Because when I set up for my podcast, I'm sitting here for 15 minutes waiting for you almost every time. (laughs) Just in case you come early, but now I know you you won't, and you weren't here until right on the dot. I like to be early. I work 7 to 3, and I get up at 4.30. I only work 7 minutes away, and I'm out of the house by 5.15, parked, and in my office by 5.30 a.m. every day. We've had this discussion before. My REMs don't kick in until after 4 a.m. Oh, that's right. <laughs> But it still doesn't explain why you're just sliding in. You know we were taught to be early. <laughs> My kids are even that way. I know. If you're early, if you're if you're on time, you're wait, if you're wait, what is it? If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Right. Exactly. Duly noted. See, here's the deal. This is what you told me in the past. You have to take 30 minutes to get your computer set up. So when you said 2.30 today, I was ready at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. I've been looking for stuff to do until 2.30. Oh. But I guess now that I know, okay, I will surprise you one day. And I guess that'll explain why you're always on before me. But I thought you needed some time to set up. I mean, I'm just piddle. So I found shortcuts. So I'm up and running in like six minutes. Okay. I love that. Duly noted. I will remember that (laughs) when we make our next appointment. Okay. Good deal. No, you should know that though. I'm always the, well, I guess that goes along the lines of procrastination. Oh, you're terrible at that. And you know, I'm a procrastinator. Oh yes. I usually get my cards, uh, birthday cards a month later. Yeah. You know what? I said I was going to write down that I need to mail your card. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Mail it this week and I'll get it by August. All right, you all. Well, what else is going on, Beth? Nothing much. Okay. So are we, are we ready to get started? We're ready to rock and roll. This is a really, (laughs) really busy time of year for me right now. And I've got a lot of conferences that I am going to. So I am trying to juggle as much as I can and keep this podcast going because Beth, you and I, I agree. We're having a lot of fun here and we don't want it to end now. So 
Beth has taken the reins again. She's got this amazing story to tell today, and I can't wait because we're actually stepping into the big leagues, don't you think? Yes, we sure are. Deb, we're going to talk today about Canadians' infamous case of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Have you heard of them before? I have, and only probably since I really started listening to true crime regularly, I would say about a year ago. So yeah, it's, it is a big story. I can understand why it's so infamous, but yeah, I can't wait to hear this one. I know we just finished the three-part Elizabeth Smart case, but I found way too much information to pack this into one episode. So we're going to do it in two this, uh, this time around. Okay. Well, I'm ready. Okay. In part one, we're going to break things down to give our audience a glimpse of the young Bernardo and Homolka. Right now, we will start with Paul. Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born to Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo on August 27, 1964. Like many other cases we hear, Paul's father, Kenneth, had a sexually devious side. He was known to sexually abuse his daughter, but at one point he was also caught fondling other girls. Kenneth was eventually charged with child molestation in 1975. I wonder how many he fondled. If he's been caught with one, how many more has he abused? Yeah, that's a good point. Probably only one spoke up and that's all there was that came forward. Mm-hmm. Paul's mother, Marilyn, was very depressed about her home life with Kenneth, so she withdrew from family life and lived in the basement of their home in Scarborough, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto. On weekends, she would go visit family just to get away from Kenneth and the home life. Ashley, I wouldn't say that this is what we did, but I always remembered having a great time going to visit Grandma on the weekends. That was the best times of our life, wasn't it? Oh, it was. We didn't see her often because of the great distance there was to drive especially since there wasn't the highway there that there is now and yes great time indeed mm-hmm. paul bernardo who will be referred to as bernardo for the rest of this story was a very cute boy with dimples oh yeah <laughs> Growing up, he was always happy, well-mannered, did well in school, and was even a Boy Scout. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. I didn't know Boy Scouts were international. I guess I'm just thinking of the Boy Scouts of America, but it's just the Scouts of America now. Oh, is it? Yeah, and that kind of reminds me. Did you Do you remember being in brownies when you were little? Oh, yes. I had a great time. And back in 2004, I was a district commissioner for the Girl Guides of Canada within the city I lived. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do the brownies still exist? Yes, they do. In fact, they have Sparks now, which is even before a brownie, and my granddaughter is in that. So they have Sparks and then it's a brownie? And then it's a girl guide and then a Pathfinder. And I believe there's something one step further, but I don't know what that is. Is it Girl Scout? I don't know. Maybe it is. I was just wondering what the difference was between brownie and Girl Scout. All I remember was was being jealous because you were in brownies and I loved your brownie uniform because it was brown. I loved it too. In fact, I went on Etsy not too long ago. And for those who don't know what Etsy is, it's where people sell small things, something like eBay, but on a much smaller scale and they sell their, their handmade crafts. Yeah. So I've been actually looking for brownie badges, believe it or not. Wow. 
Why? Nostalgic? Yes. I have a scrapbook I did on myself and want to find some brownie badges and I just missed out on one of them. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I love that, that nostalgic collection that you have going on. That is so cool. Thanks. Okay. So going on, as a teenager, Paul was said to have good-looking, almost angelic look to him. He had no facial hair due to a genetic trait. He was quiet, almost shy, and had an infectious laugh. He even had a laid-back personality. Although he was an infectious young boy, Bernardo had a dark side to him. He loved to set fires, and as he grew older, he developed sexual fantasies and enjoyed humiliating women in public and beating women he dated. Oh my. He was the laid back personality in public, but a dark side behind the scenes. Exactly. That's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. Show the good side to the public. Hmm. There was an incident where Bernardo had an indiscretion in his prepubescent days. One day a neighbor caught Bernardo in the act of being a peeping Tom. He was at the window of another neighbor and watched as a young girl got ready for bed. Seeing her naked, Bernardo was aroused. However, the neighbor that caught Bernardo never told his mother because she simply chalked it up to a normal childhood curiosity. Oh, wow. Okay, I have so many questions. But it doesn't matter if it's a childhood curiosity or not. I think the neighbor probably should have said something because, I mean, again, if he's peeping in one window, you know he's peeping in more. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. All right. He's just, okay. He's turning into a little creeper. Yes. In 1981, 16-year-old Bernardo had two major setbacks. First, he was told that Kenneth Bernardo was not his biological father after his parents got into an argument. Bernardo learned that while having an affair, his mother got pregnant with Paul. <gasps> Yikes. Yes. He was so sickened by that that he started to call his mom slut and whore. You pronounce that whore? If I stayed there long enough, <laughs> I'd be calling that whore as well? Yes. Yes, you would. Oh, wow. I've been here too long. It's time to come back. <laughs> Not to be outdone, Marilyn began hitting below the belt as well and started calling Paul a bastard. Okay. I was just curious to know if you were going to pronounce that one the way I do. And you did. <laughs> What was developing, psychiatrists later speculated, was the beginning of Bernardo's hatred towards society and an unhealthy anger towards women in general. Boy, we hear that a lot, don't we? Yes, we do. More so lately, as we said, you know, in the news, it's just terrible. Mm -hmm. To add to this, Bernardo often had to defend himself against other boys because of his good looks. So they were jealous and they would beat him up? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Once again, the brain's not fully developed until you're 25. Look past all that, people. Exactly. So he took self-defense courses and began to lift weights. He became proud of the way he fooled everyone with his appearance. But in truth, he had a very dark side to him and he was an angry young man. That sounds terrible. It is. It only gets worse as we go throughout this whole first and second part. Mm. Bernardo developed dark sexual fantasies and get this, Deb, one of them was to build a virgin farm. What? Yeah, he was going to breed virgins to 
rape them. <gasps> Wait, how old was he? He was around 16 or 17. 16 or 17. And he wants to make a farm. Like, like, where's he thinking he's going to put his virgins? One, his mother lives in the basement. If he's only 16, surely he doesn't have the funding to set up shop somewhere like a storage unit. I this, Okay, that's bizarre. It really was. When I read that, I thought, holy cow. Yeah. Over time, Bernardo would date for shorter periods of time and would frequently date more than one woman at a time. Now, I, I think that fair enough. I do too. I don't think you need to stay with one date or how would you know who you want to be with for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's a very solid comment right there. I completely agree with you. There's nothing wrong with him dating more than one person at a time. I'll tell you, I've dated three people at one time when I was single and oh my gosh, two? Manageable. Three? (laughs) It is like a juggling act. It would be. He committed an extensive amount of sexual assaults along the way and particularly liked to attack his victims after stalking them as they got off the bus late in the evening. That sounds like our last case in Hawaii. Hmm. Yes, a lot of stalkers. Speaking of that, do you watch You on Netflix? No. That's about a stalker. It's called You as in Y-O-U? Mm-hmm. I'll give it a look. So... As he was 21, there are things that begin to get really hairy, and I'll list some examples of his troubles where Bernardo earned the name the Scarborough Rapist. Now, I have heard of that. I never knew until uh, what when I when I said I started listening to true crime about regularly about a year ago. I did not know that he was connected mm-hmm. with that. So that was interesting. Yes. In fact, I never heard about it. At the time, I was living out east. You don't hear the same depth of news. So you lived a sheltered life. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Out there with uh, Anne of Green gables <laughs> it was beautiful it was beautiful i did come out there to see you and it was definitely very serene night mm-hmm. i mean green plush grass everywhere i mean driving along the coast it really was beautiful mm-hmm. on may 4th 1987 bernardo raped a 21 year old scarborough woman in front of her parents house after bernardo followed her home on may 14th 1987 he raped a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. A couple months later, there was an attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl where Bernardo broke into a house and entered the victim's bedroom. Wow. He was getting pretty bold then. Yeah. So his actions are beginning to elevate. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. He actually held a knife and bit the victim's ear. Wow. And when the mother entered the room and screamed, he ran off. Unfortunately, a 19-year-old Anthony Hannenmeyer was convicted of the assault in 1989 and served a 16-month prison sentence, but was exonerated after Bernardo admitted to the crime in 2006. Now that's pretty bad. Yeah, what a jerk. Okay, I know he's a criminal, but letting somebody else take the fall, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure he's, what was that, September? So I'm sure he's still out there doing the same thing. Yes. Mm. Around Christmas time, Bernardo raped a 17-year-old girl at knife point, and it was at this point where he began to be known as a Scarborough rapist, because no one knew who that perpetrator was. So in a four-month period, Bernardo had gotten away with four rapes and not even been caught. Wow. On May 25, 1988, Bernardo was almost caught by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator who staked out a bus shelter. 
Bernardo was seen in the trees, and the investigator pursued him on foot, but Bernardo got away. Well, he is one slick fella, isn't he? He certainly is. I'm imagining him just slipping in and slipping out and being chased, but, you know, never to be found. I'm actually thinking back to some of the cases, and I'm... It's so bold of him to commit these crimes in somebody's backyards. There's got to be people at home. A neighbor surely had to have heard something or even somebody inside the house. Would you not think? Yes. And I think this is a classic example of a narcissistic behavior. He thinks he's invincible. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it could be the bystander's effect. But then again, uh, young couples will be young couples. And if unfortunately, maybe if people did hear anything, they probably just kind of chalked it off as a young couple in the backyard. And that's horrible thinking. But, you know, that's always a possibility of that bystander effect. You always make me see the other side. I think with inside the box, and it's very hard for me to think outside the box. So thank you for coming up with other ideas. Okay. On May 26, 1990, there was a turning point with a rape of a 19-year-old woman. The Scarborough rapist's next visit retained a vivid recollection of her attacker. This enabled police to create a computer composite portrait and released it two days later. Good for her. That's great. I'm glad she stepped forward. Me too. The image was distributed by local police and published in Toronto and area newspapers. So in July 1990, police received tips that the composite drawing of the suspect resembled Paul Bernardo, and he was soon interviewed by two police detectives. From May to September 1990, over 130 suspects had their DNA tested to see if they could capture the Scarborough rapist. That is a lot of people, and what an expense. It really is. And police received two additional tips that Bernardo was the person the police were looking for. Hmm. In June 1990, one of these tips was from a bank teller, and another was, get this, Deb, one of Bernardo's closest friends named Smyrnus. Oh, wow. Bernardo had often talked about a sex life with Smyrnus, even telling him he had liked rough sex. Wow. I'm so glad Smyrnus stepped up and turned him in. Good for him. Exactly. So that composite really had to have been pretty exact. Mm-hmm. Uncanning, I'm sure. But the odd thing is, on November 20th, 1990, Bernardo was interviewed by police for, get this, 35 minutes. 35 minutes. I've never heard of 35 minutes. That's unusual because a lot of them go for hours upon hours. So just like you said a couple minutes ago, if he's narcissistic, then absolutely he's probably smooth talking these fellas. My thoughts exactly. When asked if he knew why he was being investigated for the rape, Bernardo's response was that he resembled the composite drawing. Bernardo voluntarily gave DNA sample, but it would be two years before that DNA was tested. First of all, he's quite bold to just step and say, oh yeah, that composite looks like me. That's why you called me in. Mm -hmm. That's actually quite bold for him to even say that. But secondly, why did it take so long for the DNA to get tested? Because especially if the police thought that they had the Scarborough rapist at that point. Very true. The only thing I, that comes to mind for me is stupidity. On whose part? On the police part. 
You know, there's, there's no reason. People say, I think I know who it is. You're looking for all of these and the police are just turning their eye. Maybe because the area is so much more populated, they didn't want to take up their time with it and thought maybe they weren't even close to the person that it was supposed to be. Yeah, that could be true. But of course, I'm thinking in hindsight, this is a really high profile case. I'm I'm surprised they put it on the back burner, but I'm sure that they had different reasons. Maybe they had a changeover in leadership. Maybe they had a changeover in the detectives department. We'll never know at this point, but that's so interesting that it got put on the back burner for so long. Mm-hmm. So this briefly sums up Paul Bernardo's early life. So now I'm going to bring in Carla Homolka, who Bernardo eventually married. Okay. In the meantime, Carla Leanne Homolka, who was born to Carl and Dorothy Homolka on May 4th, 1970 in Mississauga, Ontario, which is another suburb of Toronto. Carl was a Czechoslovakian immigrant and travel salesman, and Dorothy Homolka was a Canadian geriatric clinic employee. It's important to note that Carla was the eldest of three siblings, which we will talk about in our next episode. During her young age, Homolka was described as well-adjusted, pretty, smart, and popular. However, she was stubborn, domineering, and loved to speak her mind to adults. Wow, okay. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because I just have to say that sounds a lot like me, probably when I was in my early adult life, before I calmed down a little bit. Yeah, I like to get sassy, I think, sometimes. Well, you have always been known to speak your mind, and I know it's gotten you into trouble with mom. You've even been known to hang up on her. Oh, yeah. With... Without a doubt, I will hang up on mom in a heartbeat because I learned that I don't have to listen to it. I know I wasn't like that as a kid. Well, you were that way when you first got married, you sassy young thing, you. (laughs) Somebody's got to be. So Homoka, on the other hand, was known to be a vivacious, bubbly girl and full of sunshine who loved to wear frilly dresses. Can you picture that? I can because I feel like that's me now. See how things come full circle? Yep. (laughs) Dresses make me feel pretty. Let me tell you, I went to one of those facial, you know, it's like a Tupperware party. Mm -hmm. I got me a little facial one day and I swear to goodness, I felt so pretty after that. I wore a dress to work the next day. Aww. So according to the Toronto Sun, Homolka enjoyed drawing and had a love for animals. She was a smart student and teachers liked her. Aw. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to like what's coming up. Like Bernardo, there was nothing in Homolka's outward appearance that even hinted to what was to come. She did, however, start reading Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew mysteries at the age of 12 and became obsessed with crime. So, Deb, what do you think of that? We grew up reading those books and became obsessed with crime. And my favorite cartoon was even the mysterious Scooby-Doo. I love Scooby-Doo. And I'm pretty sure that you and I watched that one together. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I never grew up reading Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys. I know that you and Kathy loved that series, but I always always read the Bobsy Twins. Have you ever read any of those books? No, but now that you mention it, I do remember you reading those. 
Yeah, I don't know why I never got into those other books. I'm surprised with, you know, how obsessed we are with true crime. I should have been reading. Well, the Bobsy Twins was sort of a mysterious, mystery-led book. They were always solving mysteries, but I don't think they were, like, crime-ridden, like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. (laughs) (laughs) But I did watch Hardy Boys on TV. That was cool. What was that guy's name? Sean. He was uh, Sean Cassidy. And Parker Stevenson. Oh, get out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that show. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They need to do a remake on that one. Yeah. They've done remakes on everything else. They do. There's an Nancy Drew show on TV right now. I haven't watched it. It's new? Well, it's a couple years old, but I tape so many programs that I just can't tape anymore understood i know there's so many choices on streaming i don't even have regular tv anymore there's no point well deb you're gonna hear about homoka having many positive traits but she loved to be cruel to other children so she's the class bully she is Hmm. at the age of 12 there was a time that homoka was at a baseball field to watch a friend play ball homoka spotted a girl with a birth defect This girl had arms that were about half the normal size of a fully developed person. Deb, I looked this up, and it's a condition called phocomelia, which is a rare birth defect that shortens bones or prevents a fetus fully from developing limbs. In this instance, the girl that Homolka spotted had hands that flopped against her chest. Despite her handicap, this girl was having a lot of fun. Good for her. However, she heard Homoka yell, freak, under her breath. Now, I think that's horrible. That is terrible. Kids can be so cruel. They can. And this girl continued to play, but abruptly left the field as Homoka kept staring at her. Mm. To add injury to insult, Homoka walked up to the girl's brother and said, your sister's a freak. Oh, shameful. Shameful, all right. The brother and Homoka got into it with each other, and soon all the ballpark onlookers, at least the kids, began imitating Homoka and mocking this poor girl. Oh, that's a shame. That is really, really sad. It saddens me. Yeah, not acceptable. Where are the parents in all of this? That's what I want to know. Good question. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Um, I know somebody personally, it sounds like they might have that same birth defect, but it's very minimal. And I feel like sometimes they're self-conscious of it, especially like in the summertime if they're wearing short sleeves. But I will tell you this, the people that I am around when I'm working, nobody, I've never heard anybody bully. And that's a good thing because I feel like I work in an accepting environment and that's refreshing. But what Carla has done, that is completely unacceptable. At age 14, Homoka changed in appearance and attitude. During a depressive episode, she began to dress in a non-conforming manner, cut herself, and claimed false suicide attempts just for a way to seek attention. Oh my gosh. I know. I can just picture her in that black goth. Yeah, what was this, the mid-80s? So yeah, goth was around back then. Yes, I still see it occasionally. Eventually, Homolka developed sadistic and masochistic fantasies. When she was old enough to get a part-time job, Homolka began working in a pet store, which was perfect because she said she loved animals. She then advanced to working as a veterinary technician. She claimed to love animals, but during one incident, she threw her friend's hamster out the window and it died. (gasps) 
That's terrible. I know. It uh, died 10 days later, as a matter of fact. That's worse. Were they friends after that? Mm-hmm. Oh, they were. They continued to be friends, even though she threw her, even though Carla threw her friend's hamster out the window. Yes. Did she get in trouble? No. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm just wondering, when did parenting go wrong? But go ahead. Sometime later, Homoka had her friend convinced to dig up that grave to see what the hamster looked like. Isn't that gross? That is, oh my God. Wow. Okay. I think there's probably a name for that, isn't that? I don't know, but probably there's a name for everything. You have a point. Quick, call up our sister. She may know. <laughs> no, we can't do that. We're not telling her we're doing this podcast. That's true. Can you believe we're at all these episodes and we still are flying under radar? I sometimes wonder, Beth, this is how paranoid I am. I wonder if they know they're just not saying that they know. Oh, we'd know. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd be hanging up on them. Yep. Again, you have a point. (laughs) Carla was hoping it would be all bloated and ucky. Okay. All along, Carla's girlfriend didn't want to go along with this idea. The hamster was decomposed, upsetting Homolka's friend. But Homolka was thrilled to see the dead hamster. Oh, that's disgusting. During her teenage years, Homolka was bold and loved to mingle with the opposite sex, experimenting with drugs and having sex. She became harsh and loved to scare her friends and even became interested in the occult, often calling spirits with her friends. So you did mention that she might have been a little goth. It sounds like she would be if she was interested in the occult. Yes, very true. Have you ever heard, Deb, of the Ouija board? Oh, yes, I have. I'm thinking of that movie, The Exorcist. Oh, yes. No, but the I don't think the Ouija board was used in that. Yes, it was. Was it not? I thought it was. I don't think so. Maybe it was. I think that's how the uh, Beelzebub, or whoever it was, got beckoned through the Ouija board. Oh, we'll have to try to watch that if we can find anything on that. No, thank you. I watched Candyman last night. How was it? The 2021 version. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. I mean, it was definitely updated and I don't think I've ever seen that movie before, but that was enough for me because literally I had to take breaks because even though we can talk about this all day long, it's different when you're watching a movie and see things happening. That's uh, I think that's where I'm able to separate my imagination. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was good. Well, you still can't get me in front of a mirror saying those words. <gasps> Oh, gosh. No, not after watching yesterday's movie. No, thank you. No, I don't even think I ever heard of the Candyman up until recently. And uh, no, that's crazy. It's an old, old movie. No, I I hope people aren't doing that even today. I mean, that's how superstitious I am. I'd be afraid something would. uh Uh-uh. Nope. (laughs) Okay, so Ouija boards. I mean, have you ever played with one? Yes. But before I tell you my story, let's give the listeners from around the world a short history of the Ouija board so they understand what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The Ouija board dates back to February 1891. Can you believe that? No. Hey, wasn't that around the the World's Fair? I wonder if that was at the exposition. Yeah, it just might have been. So it started to appear on store shelves as a mysterious board that could answer questions about one's past, present, and future. 
Mysterious board is sold today in game aisles. I even see them in thrift stores, but don't dare buy one. Dad painted me a beautiful nighttime scene on a weed, the back of a Ouija board. I remember that. Do you still have it? I got rid of it, unfortunately. I just, after about a year or two, I just could not have it in my house. But it was my very favorite painting oil painting as a matter of fact that dad ever did i remember him doing that now i mean can i ask you was it conjuring up bad uh, you know how people have bad dreams and stuff was it conjuring bad dreams no not at all i just couldn't live with myself knowing that i had a ouija board in the house yeah that's a shame i mean dad was an amazing artist and i have some of his pieces and I can understand, I mean, it would be heartbreaking for me to get rid of any of them. Mm -hmm. The flat board has letters of an alphabet arranged in semicircles above the numbers zero through nine and words yes and no in the upper left and the upper right corners with goodbye at the bottom of the board. The Ouija board comes with a small teardrop shaped piece of wood or plastic that has feet on it to allow the movement of the wood. One is to put their finger on the top of the wood, ask a question, and watch as a wood piece moves from letter to letter, spelling out an answer or would simply go directly to one of the three words I spoke about earlier. Which was what? Yes, no, and goodbye? Yes. That's interesting that it would be goodbye. I mean, where does that come from? I know. I don't, I when I said that goodbye, I thought, oh, that's weird. That's out of nowhere. Hmm. This interesting and mysterious board had to be proven at the patent office before it was allowed to proceed. It in fact worked for the office and the patent was allowed to proceed. Oh, okay. The thing I know about Ouija boards is can't you kind of answer it yourself and make it look like the board's doing its own thing? No. I have an experience, which I'll tell you about, and I haven't touched one since. Okay. Oh my. Wow. How come you never told me this? Too creepy? Because I guess we didn't talk a lot when when it was so expensive to talk long distance. True. Yeah, that's long distance, people. That's when people had those home phones with the long cords on the wall. Yeah. Long distance was astronomically expensive. It was like a dollar a minute, and that was a lot of money back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. When I made three thirty-five an hour, a dollar a minute was too astronomical to talk to my sister. But mm-hmm. again, procrastinator, I'm sure you didn't get too many letters either. No, I didn't. <laughs> Thank God for technology. Mm-hmm. Look at where we are now. Exactly. <laughs> In the meantime, what is your story? I'm intrigued. Well, when I was 22, a few friends and I thought it would be fun to play with the Ouija board. For some reason, the board would not move when I lightly placed my fingers on the teardrop. What? It was like stuck in place? It would not move. I was watching the girls and they were all doing their thing and, and the board was moving and it's it's hard to know what it feels like until the thing actually moves under your hand. And for me, it wouldn't talk every time I went to touch it. <gasps> Mm-hmm. And so the other girls would touch it. Well, they asked why it wouldn't talk to me. And the answer spelled out B-E-T-H. That creeped me out. So they asked the questions for you? No, because when I went to put my hand on it and it wouldn't move, somebody else would put their hand just lightly on top of me and that thing actually moved. It moved and spelled out 
Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, and A-D-A-M, Adam. Wow. I jumped up as quick as I could be and left the room crying. Why did I leave the room crying? I was pregnant at the time with my firstborn, and those were the two names I had picked out for my baby, depending on the sex of the baby. And yes, my children's names are Sarah and Adam. So how freaky is that? That's wild. You sure they weren't doing that? I don't know. I can still envision when I touched it. Oh. And the thing did move when somebody else had their hands on me. That's bizarre. Now I want to know what else they had to say. Whoever it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, but we don't want to conjure those spirits because I believe in, in bad spirits. And I mean, that's just me. I do too. So yeah, we'll leave that one alone. I don't play with Ouija boards anyway. I was at an impressionable age when the exorcist was out. And so yeah, there are certain things, certain things I don't do. So in October 1987, Homolka was having fun at a restaurant. She and her friend looked into the hotel room for a pet store conference that they were attending. But all she wanted to do was party, party, party. Yeah, but how old is she? She was 17. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a partier back then. My gosh. Well, you were. Yeah, well, I was. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Somebody has to be buttoned up to the neck, goody two-shoes in the family, and it was me. <laughs> <laughs> you say that so proudly. I love it. Uh, went to a bar with my sister-in-law. Of course, I felt so smart in my turtleneck and my outfit I was wearing. And when we left that evening, she looked at me and she says, don't wear a turtleneck when we go out to a bar again. She thought it was inappropriate for me to wear a turtleneck. Oh, to a bar, of course. I get it. But <laughs> I'll tell you, though, I've never been a bar hopper. No, me neither. Anyway, I just like to have a little bit of spirit in my life. And it's not the spirits that you find in a bar, nor conjured up for the Ouija board. It's just my inner spirit. Okay. Exactly. All right. So she was partying. Okay. We're going to get back to this. So Homoka was ready to party. And it was well after midnight when Homoka got hungry and ordered room service. After they were told that room service was closed for the night, the two young ladies dressed in pajamas. Ugh. Pajamas. Decided to go down to the restaurant, which would change Homoka's life forever. It's going to change her life forever? Okay. The two friends were busy eating when the two men walked into the restaurant. They walked right up to Homoka and her friend. The blonde man automatically took to Homoka and teased her about wearing her pajamas in the restaurant. Ugh. They made small talk and exchanged names, and the blonde said, Hi, I'm Paul Bernardo. Mm. The girls invited the pair to their hotel room, and within an hour, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo were in bed together. Okay. Bernardo was 23, and Homolka was just 17. Wow. I was just wondering, what is she doing in the hotel? She was there for a conference. Oh, that's right. Okay. This was the beginning of their partnership and crime spree, which we'll talk about in part two. What, we're done? Yes, we are. Well, no, I was going to summarize part one first. Yeah, but you're hang like you're leaving me hanging. You're going to leave me hanging with that? I am. Because I'm just <laughs> that kind of person. Okay, Beth, you're getting good at this. <laughs> in summary, folks... Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka were a married Canadian couple 
who sexually assaulted and murdered a number of teenage girls, as you will hear in part two. They were nicknamed the Ken and Barbie Killers because of their good looks and wealthy background. Hmm. Next week, we will talk about the murders, so stay tuned. Deb, do you have a teachable moment for our listeners? Okay, so we're done. (laughs) We are. I meant it. Okay, on that note, yes, I do have a teachable moment. Don't wear pajamas in public. Take pride in your appearance, please. And I don't know when society got so lazy, but the definition of pajamas, Beth, is basically clothing that is suited to sleep in. So it looks like you rolled out of bed, people. I mean, you may not think it does, but it does. It does, folks. It looks like you are not taking pride in who you are. And I will say there was one time where I was in a period of my life where I had been laid off so I was without work for quite a period of time and I got up and got ready and got dressed and put my makeup on and Shelby walks in and says where are you going and I said nowhere well why are you dressing up sometimes when you take a moment to look pretty you feel pretty and I think I mentioned that earlier in this episode so that's it that's my teachable moment take pride in your appearance and just make a little bit of an effort because you really will feel much better about yourself love it I think Shelby knows it drives me crazy to see people out there in public and you know what's worse yes what's worse Auntie Diane when we were young wearing curlers in her hair with her nightgown and her fluffy slippers when we went out (laughs) shopping I completely forgot about that. And you are so right. I was just going to say what drives me more crazy is people in pajamas and slippers in public. And curlers. Forgot about those (laughs) curlers. Those pink or green spongy curlers that you would see people wear. Yeah. Wow. What a a memory right there. Yes. (laughs) Well, I think if we are done, then we want to thank you for listening to our episode of Dying to be Found. We would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying the Number Two, the letter B found. And if you like our episodes, please tell your friends and consider buying us a coffee and leave a comment at buymeacoffee.com slash dying to be found spelled just the way you see it in our logo and if you have a storyline you would like for us to cover please email us at dying the number two the letter b found at gmail.com or message us in instagram otherwise we will be back next thursday and that's a wrap that is a wrap bye